You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, located in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We hope this message is helpful to you in your journey with God. For the live stream archive of our worship services, you can visit youtube.com slash cornerstonelebanonpa. Christian community is best lived out in face-to-face relationships with one another. We encourage you to physically participate in a local church setting within your area. Learn more about our faith community by visiting cornerstonelebanon.com. Today's message is about the four marks of the church. So a mark is like a characteristic of the church. So when you see a boy or girl, you can say, oh, that's a boy or girl because there are certain marks that they kind of look like Justin or Naomi. There are certain characteristics. Maybe it's that weird smile that they all have, or maybe it's uh, their hair color, or maybe it's their eye color that's very distinct, like that's a mark of the boyers, and each of us have that based off of our parents. So today we're going to be talking about the, the four marks of the church, the characteristics of the church that actually mark us as the church. And this is part two in our series of the communion of saints. And uh, a basic understanding of what a saint is, is that somebody that has been set apart by God through Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God, to enact the kingdom of God on earth. That is what a saint is. And those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior are saints. So if you are here today, and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, in your identity, you are a saint. And you are called to live out of that identity. Do we always live out of that identity? (laughs) No, we do not. No. Um, we are called, though, to resist the temptation um, to live out of a different identity, you know? So this, the regular pattern of life as being a saint isn't one of ignoring the fact that we mess up. Rather, it's one of confession and repentance. We know the love of God, and we have received the love of God, and because of that, we can verbalize our wrongdoings. And because of that, we can turn towards Jesus by his grace and move forward. And that's what we talked about last week. Last week in the series, we talked about how the church is always in need of reforming. That there are things that it's not all of a sudden we have arrived and we can just kind of coast from here. But the church is always being called out, meaning being called to account to bring more and more glory to God through the Jesus way. And so our series is about the communion of saints. And we're not here today to talk about the fact that Virginia is a saint, St. Virginia. Maybe we should start calling each other that, St. Virginia. We're not here to talk about the individuals of me being a saint or you being a saint, but of the communion of saints. The word saint, singular, is only used one time in all of the New Testament. It's only used one time. And the word saints, plural, is used 60 times in the New Testament. And the one time that the word saint, singular, is used, it's used by Paul to say, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So, to some degree, that's important because it's not making an argument in the scriptures um, about the unique sainthood of a person, which is important. You know, I am unique as a person. Christy is unique as a person. Jared and Ron are unique as people. But it's not as concerned about that in the environment of the scriptures as it is of the, the many saints being one church, being in communion with one another. And while you can be a saint by yourself, you cannot be the church by yourself. There is no church of one 
even though there is only one church. So as we are listening to God's word today and through this series, it's about the communion of saints. We're learning about, again, who we are as his church. Next week, uh, Matt Hershey is going to be talking. Matt, are you still preaching next week? Yeah, Matt is still (laughs) preaching next week. And uh, he'll be talking about the nature of the unique congregations and how we do have a shared commonality between us. Uh, In two weeks, Pastor Peter will be uh, addressing how God redeems people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And there's like a hundred topics that we could be talking about on a Sunday morning together. You know, there's different biblical themes. There's different craziness that's going on in the world. There's different uh, books of the Bible that we could be walking through during our gathered time. So one question is, why is this, the communion of saints, the church, important to hear God speak about right now? Like, we should be asking, why is this important? Is this just something that we're doing? No. It's important that we talk about this today. And part of the reason is, is that the world around us, there is an ever-increasing lack of common grace and decency. In the world around us, there is an ever-increasing lack of common grace and decency. People are more divided. People are are more deviant, meaning that they're turning off the road of common decency. People are more detached, so even if you're not in a divisive relationship with somebody, are you still actually really connected with them? And people are more distracted. And, you know, you want to put as somebody that's preaching than ever before in the history of mankind. That's not true. But these things are definitely marks of the culture right now. That we are divided and deviant, uh, detached and distracted. The reception and the extension of a common grace is on its way out. And so that means that the special grace of Christ's body, of us as a communion of saints and of the church, in ordinary time needs to be lived out and proclaimed that there is a better way than this distraction than this divisiveness, than this uh, being deviant, than this idea of being detached from one another. The problem, however, is that the world, that is the lust of the eyes and the deceptions of the evil one and the pride of life, are often in the church infiltrating our mindset. Those things tempt us into being sleepy in our complacency or militant in our crusading They entice us as followers to ditch the church, which only causes some kind of spiritual uh, schizophrenia because we are the church and you can't love Jesus and hate his bride, in part because if you're loving Jesus and hating his bride, you're hating yourself. The seduction of the world even makes us choose to let go of Jesus and our faith in him, damning us blocking us from the flow of eternal life that is only found in the glory of Christ. That glory that allows us to rejoice in all circumstances. That glory that allows us to grieve things that need to be grieved, all the while holding on to hope. So, why is this important? Because we need the truth to crowd out the lies that makes us divided and deviant and detached and distracted. Because we need God to remind us, even if it's for the first time, of who we are, which is our identity, of what we are called to and what we're not called to, which is our calling, and the way in which we are to go about our life and our mission, which is our character, our identity and our character and our calling. 
One theologian, as he's talking about the church, sums up the four marks of the church in this way. He says that the church is one since it lives under the Lord and heeds Jesus' command for unity. The church is holy since it receives God's consecration by the spirit of holiness and then calls its members, us the saints, to be led by the spirit and to pursue Christ-likeness. The church is Catholic, and if that word is a trigger word for you, we'll get to that. The church is Catholic since its borders are open and it resists any attempt at tribalism. The church is apostolic since it orients itself towards the first century message of the apostles, those that were physically in the presence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and also it's apostolic because of the promotion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these things, the church being one and holy and Catholic and apostolic, fly into the face of the surrounding culture and the things that are tempting us to be divided and deviant and detached from one another and to be distracted. And so as the common grace is on its way out in the world, the world needs the special grace of the church, of Jesus Christ, of his spirit, to show a better way forward. Make sense why this is important? Yeah? Yes. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we ask that even as truth is being proclaimed this morning, we need your spirit to come and fill us, that we need your spirit to move across uh, the scripture and um, across our hearts and across our minds, that you would deposit in us something that is good and beautiful and true, and that as Dennis says, as we ruminate on it, as we chew on it, as we... um, settle into the reality of who you have called the church to be, God, that we would then live out of that identity because of the grace we have received. So Holy Spirit, not in any kind of superstitious way, not in any kind of fanatical way, but would you move among us, not just today, but throughout our whole week, to bring us into alignment with you and to live out that alignment. God, we confess our sins, that we are imperfect, that we are divided at times, that we stray from the path, that we are detached from one another, and that also we are distracted in what you have called us to do, just in the everyday nature of life. Remind us again, God, of your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I made this little chart, which I like charts, so if you're a chart person, this will be great. If you hate charts, you'll probably fall asleep today. Um, feel free to, if you want to, grab your bulletin and a pen or something and, and follow along if that helps you to, to stay engaged with your mind. Um, so our framework today is around the four marks of the church. And these four marks are, are mentioned in the ancient Christian creeds. So they have their roots in the gospel message. This thing that we're going to talk about, about one holy Catholic apostolic. They have their roots in the gospel message, but they were articulated by the church in the third and fourth and fifth centuries. Now, how many of you in your past, because we don't do this at Cornerstone, how many of you have grown up in some kind of tradition where you would recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? Has anybody been part of that before? One, two, three, maybe, okay, maybe a dozen? Yeah. Yeah, Maybe a dozen of us? And so it's probably worldwide the most recited part of liturgy on a Sunday morning. Like worldwide, throughout the, the believing church, It's probably the most uh, recited part of liturgy of a worship session on a Sunday morning. But I would guess that many of us, uh, self-included, 
uh, haven't given two thoughts to the creeds. Or maybe we came from a more fundamentalist uh, mindset that said, like, uh, there's no creed but the Bible. Has anybody, had anybody grown up with that at all? No? No creed, but you, no creed but the Bible, a little bit, which isn't in the Bible, by the way, and, sound, and sounds like a creed to say that. So it's kind, of, it's kind of eating itself alive there. So I've had a growing appreciation for the creeds over the past five years, especially as I consider the communion of the saints, especially as I consider church history, and that while God has us in this time and place at a very specific moment, there's generations that have come well before us, and there will generations that will come well after us. And so while creeds are not the word of God, I do think that they have a legitimate voice of authority in our lives, serving as kind of these like concise markers of huge truth that are oftentimes hard to comprehend. They're oftentimes hard to comprehend. We can get kind of mixed up, and it's nice to go back to something that has been thought through for um, thousands of years and been like, yeah, this is still true. This is still rooted in the scriptures, and this is a confession. So the church uh, and creeds, they carry the essential gospel theology, and they are helped to form uh, a collection of the scripture known as the canon that we take for granted today. Some of the creeds were established before the canon of the Bible that we have. Isn't that interesting to think about? And they were yet based out of those scriptures, which I think is just fascinating how the church and the word of God and God's sovereignty brought those things together. So the church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is apostolic. So that's uh, briefly skipped through these, these different um, marks of the true church. So the church is one. That means it's not divided. The church being one is probably one of the more mystical or mysterious notions of the four marks, right? So on our coins, on our American coins, uh, there's a little motto that's e pluribus unum. Am I saying that right, Barry? Okay. And it's Latin for out of many, one. Out of many, one. So 25 pennies equals one quarter, or 13 original colonies equals one nation, or the 12 tribes uh, equaled one nation in the scriptures. But theological oneness takes that to the next degree. We think about the Lord our God and how the Lord is one. But we also think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, where each is God, but neither are each other, nor does the one true God appear in different forms at different times. It's not like God was here at one time and then, you know, during the reign of Jesus, Jesus was here, and that, that was the presence of God, which it was, but God the Father kind of went away. And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, we have God the Holy Spirit now, and that's God, but Jesus and the Father, the Father and the Son, are, aren't around anymore. That's not how the Trinity works. There is the sacred union that makes one without the losing of the unique personhood of each. If it would stay in the realm of this transcendent God, we might have an easier time with it because we're not God. And so practically, well, does that really matter? Maybe it's good theology. Maybe it's, we have to hold on to that truth. But practically, that doesn't really matter. Unfortunately, Jesus messes all of that up, right? Jesus gives us a vision of the church being one in John 17. So in John 17, uh, verses 20 to 23, which we've, said here many times, he says this. So this is Jesus praying before he's going to go to the cross. 
He's praying uh, to his father. He's praying for his disciples, not just his disciples that were physically with him, but all of his disciples that will believe because of their message. And this is what Jesus says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, not for the, the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. Jesus is praying for us in this. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So he's saying, this is possible. I have given them the glory that you have given me. And so this oneness that does exist, at least in the spiritual realm, is possible in the physical realm to some degree, even though that feels like a pipe dream a lot of times. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So as we are unified, there's this missional aspect of it that we're actually showing how much God loved Jesus by the way we're being unified under the banner of Christ. So practically on a relational level, what does this mean? Um, this means that there is diversity and not division within the true church. And what that helps to do is it helps to expose our blind spots as we submit to each other in the love of Christ. We were talking earlier this morning about how different generations of Christians are needed to be in community together. Because one generation might think um, or might really vibe with the truth of the gospel, whereas a different generation might really vibe with the, the goodness or the beauty of the gospel. And the truth and the realism and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel are, 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 are all part of the gospel. And yet we sometimes need somebody outside of ourselves most times to say, hey, this thing is good. This thing is beautiful. This thing is true. And to speak to one another in that. As one theologian says, he says, some traditions to so some different people that believe in Jesus, that are part of the church, but that aren't part of our kind of way of thinking, he says that some of these traditions remind us that there are ancient roots in the church. Other traditions that the Christians, us, we are Bible people. Other traditions that the church is for believers. One tradition can remind us about the importance of personal holiness and God's sovereignty, while another tradition, and I love this, reminds us that God's Spirit is still with us and God's Spirit did not go on sabbatical. The gift of identity that this points to is that while there are many parts of the body, like we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the church is one and there is only one bride of Christ. Sometimes we can make Jesus into a polygamist where he's with his bride down there at Calvary and then he kind of moves over here and he connects with his bride at Cornerstone and then after all he goes to the late service at Freedom in Christ and then he finally settles somewhere else. We can internally bicker about how he treats his other wives while ignoring us. But that's not the spiritual reality. He has one bride and he is one in union with the bride. So that's the invisible reality. And part of the mission of the church is to make it visible. So that the world would know that God sent Jesus as Lord and Savior. So in Ephesians 4, when it talks about mission and unity, 
we hear Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. It says, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And when you receive the calling to be part of the kingdom of God through the salvation offered, through the rescue offered by Jesus, you were called into a family. And you were called to be part of the body of Christ, that you were part in this mystical oneness, that you are the one bride with others. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Because sometimes not all the parts of the body get along with each other. Now listen, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. We might make every effort in order to personally develop as a disciple of Jesus in our own quiet times or to really study the scripture in academics and in original languages and all of that. And that's great. Or to really make effort, as it says in the, in the scriptures, to, to be and feed the poor. It says make effort to do that. But is there this making of effort for us to be unified as one body under the one Lord? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. So the church is not divided. The church is one. So then we go over to holy. Um, Jared, I lost my clicker. Can you click on the clicker button? There we go. Thank you. So the church is one and the church is holy. It is not deviant. It is not meant to go off the path of decency. We as the church are frustratingly flawed. Amen? And yet we are chosen by God with this unique call and purpose to make visible the kingdom of God on earth. There is the moral and the ethical goodness that being holy carries with it. So maybe when you think of being holy uh, in a positive sense, a lot of times when we think of holiness, you can think of it in a self-righteous or holier-than-thou kind of sense. But there is this context of moral and ethical goodness. But it primarily means to be other, to be different. The church is God's treasured possession that is not for self-centered enlightenment or entertainment, but for the glory and enjoyment of God as a supernatural yet down-to-earth community of faith, hope, and love. The church in Corinth you know, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, is one of the most dysfunctional groups of people ever found in the scripture. And it's cool when we're like, we want to be like the first century church. And then we read about the first century church and we're like, yeah, maybe we don't want to be like the first century church. The church in Corinth had issues of sexual morality. They had issues of celebrity pastors. They had divisions. They had abuse of spiritual gifts. And Paul addresses his loving letter to them that calls them out and to account like this, he says, to the church of God, you're not the church, you're not the assembly, you're not the gathering of something else. You're the church, you're the assembly, you're the gathering of God. Where are you located? You're located in the region of Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So there's two elements of holiness there. To those sanctified, to those made holy by Christ Jesus. You are God's temple that houses the glory and holiness and otherness of God. As a saint, that is your identity. 
And, but it also says, and called to be his holy people. You were called to not just be a container, but an active participant with free will to live out of that otherness. Again, it goes back to who you are and who we are in the communion of saints as the church. The church as holy means that we are a peculiar people. And that's like a, a King James version. You won't see that word in any of the modern translations, but I like it. One, because I think it's twofold. It kind of connotates, one, it's peculiar in that we are exclusively God's. We as the church are exclusively God's and we're called to other people to say, hey, you should be exclusively God's too. God wants you. God desires you. And he's not going to share you with another God, with another idol, even if that idol is ourselves. And I also like the word peculiar because of the fact that we're a little unusual. And especially compared to the surrounding ebb and flow of culture. We're not playing the same game as anyone else. Even while we're seeking to have the wisdom from above and we're trying to walk away from the wisdom that is below. We're peculiar. We're a little bit different. We're a little bit odd to the culture around us. At least that's our call and that's our mission. One theologian says that holiness is central to the mission of the church. If the church is to make a difference, then it must be different. For the church to make a difference, we must be different. So the church is one. The church is holy and the church is Catholic. This sense of Catholicism, depending on how you grew up in the church, I don't mean the Catholic, the Roman Catholic tradition, um, which there's a lot to say about that, both in good and bad, just like with the Protestant tradition. This here means more so universal. So this Catholic mark means the universal reach, and it's the sibling of the church being one. So the church passed any kind of hierarchy that would disconnect individuals from being made in God's image, that would disconnect the, the truth that we are both dignified and fallen, that we need God's love and holiness to be revealed to us in Jesus. The, the, the Catholicness of the church, the mark of the church, is that we are to be all-embracing in our message that calls people to repentance. God's spirit through the church is not restricted to geography. It's not restricted to ethnicity. It's not restricted to gender. It's not restricted to class. And it's not restricted to status. All things that the world would want to divide over. All things that maybe we're not going to divide over that, but we're definitely not going to be attached to each other. We're going to stay detached from one another. We'll be uh, peace uh, keepers. And you stay over there. And you stay over there. And we're good. But the call of the gospel is for us to be peacemakers. Where we cross those boundary lines and say, no, this is part of God's kingdom. You are part of God's kingdom. I am part of God's kingdom. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, religious, irreligious, elite, uncivilized, male or female, insider, outsider. The church, because it is Catholic, embraces all in Christ. It is the expression of its oneness. We are not detached from one another even if there are external boundaries and delineations in place. So when we prayed, when Dennis was moved in his spirit to pray for those in Haiti, we're expressing, we're expressing to some degree the Catholic nature of the church. Remember, like, even though they're not in our city, even though they're not uh, in our region, that they are elsewhere, and that is the church. That is the communion of the saints, and we're somehow 
um, uh, supernaturally, spiritually connected to them, even though they're thousands of miles away. And they are the church, and we are the church. And so this morning, as Dennis prayed, he was expressing, whether he knew it or not, that Catholicness, that embracingness of the church. In John chapter 10, Jesus addresses this again. He teaches us about the broad embrace that is about the outsider. And that the outsider is outside of our local context. And yet the trajectory of the gospel is to take all of the outsiders, and we're somebody's outsider, and to bring them together into one flock. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In the same way, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know, you need to know, that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. That Christ has other sheep in addition to this pen of cornerstone. I need to gather and bring them too. They will also recognize my voice, and then there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so part of the mission of the church in being Catholic is to realize that God is working outside of us and to welcome in the outsider because the gospel is to everyone everywhere. That's the sense of hospitality. There is this microcosm of life that happens here at Cornerstone and in Lebanon that we don't want to be all this or all that. There needs to be a diversity to some degree of the body of Christ here. And as people come from outside of Cornerstone walls that we might not know and yet God might be drawing them, are we being hospitable to them? Are we being welcoming to them, knowing that God is trying to work in their lives and that they need us just as much as we need them? By being obedient in the small, we are connecting into a bigger spiritual reality as we are being hospitable as the saints. We are expressing the Catholic nature, the Catholic mark of the church. So, the church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The last mark, the fourth mark. We are not distracted. We are apostolic. So God's true church is not something that people create and then slap on the label of church. For the church to be apostolic at least means that it is authentic and that it is tied to the historical roots, to the message of Jesus that goes back and has been carried on for 2,000 years, which we basically sang this morning as Christy led us in worship. Right? While diversity is no doubt present in the way we express and in our traditions and the way we highlight different points of doctrine, the church in herself needs to be on brand. That is, that it comes from the source. It's not something that looks like the real thing, but doesn't have the same essential ingredients. It's like going to, um, this is a bad consumer reference, but we're consumers, so let's use it, is that we go into the cereal aisle. Hey, why don't you go pick up some Cheerios, Eden? Eden goes to the Cheerios section, and she gets this bagged cereal, and it's like, it's like oat, oat O's or something like that. I'm like, that's not Cheerios. No offense to anybody that likes oat O's. Or, the, or what is it, Fruit Loops. Hey, let's, let's have a birthday cereal. Go get Fruit Loops in the box. But she gets the off-brand version that looks the same, but it's called Tutti Fruities. And it's not the same. It's not on-brand. Or the millions of ways online where, hey, I want to upgrade my phone. I want to get the new iPhone 22 or whatever it is. 
And then you go on like, oh, wow, the iPhone 22 is out, and this is a really cheap price. And then you get it, and you, it's some kind of iPhone-y, right? It's something that kind of looks like an iPhone, and yet it's not authentic. It's not connected to the source. Christianity didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't a good thought or philosophical creation of what might give human beings meaning for 70 years of their life before they die and return to dust. It's not like Islam that in part was created out of a desire to unite a tribal people. It's not like Buddhism that depersonalizes life into an abstract nothingness. It's not like secular humanism that was created because mankind is all there is and therefore we can be our own blind, self-serving gods that don't need anything beyond ourselves. That is not the Christian message. While the message and the framing of the gospel has been different throughout the centuries, the core has remained. It's rooted in a man who claimed to be from God in a very unique way. The claim to be in such union with God that he himself could forgive sins and give life to those that followed him. That he himself was indeed the heart of God. He was God the Son, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He was God manifested in a presence, the Word made flesh. And he started teaching us about what really matters. And that could all completely be dismissed. And we might never know of this Jesus of Nazareth from 2,000 years ago, except for the fact that he was killed, and he was crucified, and he died, and he stayed dead, and then he didn't stay dead anymore. And God validated the message in the life of Jesus by raising him from the dead. And there's this historical root that goes back to that. That if that isn't true, we're, we're lost. Christianity is another religion, another way of controlling the world so we can feel better about ourselves before we die. The oneness of the church is about relationship. The holiness of the church is about character. The Catholicness of the church is about love. And the apostolic nature of the church is about the truth and the facts and the meaning of the gospel. In the book of Jude, anybody read Jude lately? It's a famous book in the Bible. Every now I see one hand, like kind of, it's pretty heavy. It's like, you know, like fire and brimstone stuff. I'll preach on it at some point. But in Jude chapter, uh, there's not, there's one chapter in Jude, so it's always weird to be Jude chapter one. Jude three, which is verse three. Dear friends, this is Jude writing. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, we're in the communion of saints together. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. We see that in the scriptures, obviously, but it was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people that the saints of the church are to carry this message. And before it was really a written gospel, it was an oral gospel. It was a storied gospel. It was a shared teaching gospel. And I'm so thankful that we have the written scriptures too. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among us. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immor immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our, our sovereign and our Lord. And so the apostolic nature of the church or identity means that we have a family inheritance. We have a family inheritance of truth from God 
and through the church in generations prior that we need to not only guard, but that we need to somehow use and invest into the next generation. And in that sense, the mission of the church is to go with that message. So the apostolic nature connects backwards to the roots of Christianity, but it also goes forward. Because what does apostle mean? It means what? Sent one. Sent ones. And so there's this missional aspect of the apostolic church to go with the message of reconciliation offered by Christ alone that heals our connection with ourself, that heals our connection with God, that heals our connection with others. And this healing is already happening in the world, but we also look for the completion of it because we also know that we are not completely home yet. Home is not completely made here on earth yet. And so already the gospel is going forth and doing what it needs to do, and yet the completion of it has not happened yet. In John chapter 20, after Jesus' resurrection, as people are trying to figure out, are you a ghost? Are we tripping on mushrooms here? What are we doing? Are you real? The tripping on mushrooms thing isn't actually in the text. It was actually a theory. I'm not going to get into that. Um, And so the disciples are like, what's going on here? And so the resurrected Lord appears to them. And to the disciples, he says, peace be with you. And then he gives this apostolic call to the church. As the Father has sent me, Jesus, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And that's a pretty good call, church. Through the Holy Spirit, we have been given authority. And when we mess up in that authority, we confess and repent. But that doesn't mean we just stay on the sidelines. We are called to participate in the kingdom. We are called to go one way or another. That doesn't mean that you need to be a missionary in Haiti. That does mean to some degree that wherever you are spending your time, you're always looking for the kingdom of God and how you can promote it in your day-to-day life at work, at your sports games, in the locker room, at school, in your family. That you're looking for that. That you're not wearing yourself down and beating yourself up and like a jittery activist that needs to just, needs to get everything done. That you're resting, but also being active in the fact that God's kingdom is here now. So the church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And this bucks against the cultural norm that's happening right now of of the culture being one that is divisive, one that is deviant, one that um, is distancing and detached, and one that is also distracted, don't even know what to do. This is who we are according to the word of God. And now we're called to live out of that. Live out of your identity cornerstone, even in the messiness of you needing your own healing, even in the messiness of being hurt by others. This is who we are, and out of that, this is our mission, to be a one holy Catholic apostolic church. I'm going to ask Christy to come up. Christy is going to uh, sing the chorus. So, Jared, Ron, can you put the chorus of Oh, Praise the Name up? Um, And what we're going to do is um, Christy's going to sing the song over us once, not the whole song, the chorus. And then the second time, if you would join in and sing that, Uh, as our concluding point of worship. Then I have a couple announcements, and then we'll close with the doxology. 
Um, just one thing quick. Dan, is Michael Ann here? Okay. Are you able to give a CWS announcement? You are? Okay, thank you. We'll do a couple announcements then. So let's pray. God, as we um, let your word, and Jesus, as we let your words and the words of the church prior to us help like wash over us, um, we just ask that your spirit would again move. That we as the church would have the marks of our maker and that we as the church would have the, the marks of the message that you have entrusted to us. That your gospel is one and holy, all-embracing, and has historic roots that are applicable for today. So may in this next season of life, as in always though, God, may people be able to look at your church and see like, oh, that's, that's God's treasured possession. Because I see the marks of God on the church. May we as the church be able to look at ourselves and look at one another and be like, ah, I see God there because I know that God is one and that God is holy and that God is all-embracing and that God is uh, missional. And I see that mark from the maker and that mark of the message on you. God, you love your church. Jesus, you love your bride. Even though we're dark, you still call us lovely. Wash us with your word and help us to live in the reality that is not making up some kind of falseness of who we are, pretending that we're perfect, neither succumbing to the ways of the world that, that want to have us go off track. And we pray these things in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of God's people said, Amen.